I'm Catherine. And I'm Sarah. And this is Cosmos, Cosmos in, in the, the Cosmos. Cosmos. <laughs> <laughs> so Sarah and I are two good friends from high school. And this is a podcast where we are going to review sci-fi books. Um, specifically, we are planning to start by talking about all the books that won the Hugo Awards. So we're starting in 1953 and working our way up. And yeah, for our cocktails, do you want to introduce yours first and then I'll introduce mine? Sure. So I... This is a drink that has, like, a couple different variations. They have names like, um, like the brain cocktail or, like, a brain aneurysm or brain bleed or something like that. And it gets its name from the fact that it's served in kind of a tall glass, usually with, um, well, the recipe that I found called for peach schnapps with a dash of grenadine and then you top it off with, um... Bailey's creme liqueur, so it kind of gets the appearance of, like, gray matter. Um, but you know that thing that I do where, like, I just don't follow <laughs> recipes? Yes. Uh, so, um... So, it took not even one episode for this, uh, <laughs> tendency to appear. So, the recipe that I found called for peach schnapps with a, a splash of grenadine and Bailey's Irish cream liqueur. Um, but... I didn't want to buy a whole bottle of peach schnapps because I had already bought quite a few bottles of alcohol and I was like, well, I can substitute just like vodka with a little, with like more grenadine to like balance out like the sweetness. And I think that would be pretty decent. And then tonight when I was like making the cocktails, I knew I had a bottle of Bailey's, but then when I opened it up, I was like, hmm, when was, when was this bottle opened? Does the cream in this go bad? And I sniffed it and it was like, hmm... This is a little stinky. <laughs> so I used um, vodka with a pretty generous splash of grenadine and a little bit of grape juice because I had it in the fridge and I thought it would be tasty. And then I topped it with half and half um, for the appearance, kind of in the, the style of like a white Russian. And it's fairly decent. I wouldn't say that it's like bad. So when we put our for our patreon um listeners when we put up our video um like our cocktail recipes we'll give you the one that people put on the internet but we're also going to give you sarah's because yeah so i have the advantage of i live with a delightful man who is a bartender one of my very good friends and as a result of that I did have all the proper ingredients for this cocktail to make it. And let me tell you, it is nasty. Because <laughs> oh no! if you've ever wondered. <laughs> because it, the thing is, is that Bailey's and peach schnapps are way too sweet to put together. Yeah, that's kind of why I didn't want to buy a whole bottle of peach schnapps for this. Because I was like, I'm kind of anticipating that that's just going to be a lot. Um, especially with, like, grenadine in it. Like, yeah. It <laughs> and the Bailey's kind of curls and it gets thick and it's not good. Yeah, exactly. I'm drinking this cocktail and it's like the cream is doing that thing where it gets all chunky. Yep. And it's... Like, and it's like, nope, nope. 
But yeah, so I'm not McLovin' it. And um, you chose you chose this one because it kind of looks like a brain, right? Yeah, it's like so like it kind of looks like the the gray matter, I guess, mm-hmm. or I don't know. Which which is kind of cool. Um, but I think I would tell you listeners. If you're making this cocktail to, like, look interesting, maybe just make it and don't drink it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so what I made for mine is I wanted to put, you know, you know, the spears that you put, like, usually, like, um, fruit on over a cocktail. I was like, what if I made something that I could put a spear of brain gummies over. Um, and I got some raspberry, um, like, full, um, like, flavored gummies. And I was like, what would go with that? And so I made a cocktail that is known as a Clover Club. Um, and I thought it came out pretty well. I liked it. Um, it's raspberry syrup and, and it's gin and a few other things. And unlike the other one it's not sickly sweet it's it's nice though having made it a few times i would just put it with raspberries you don't need brain gummies but i did that because i was thinking about brains since you know this book is all about um telepathy and now i gotta ask sarah about it because I'm sure that Sarah messed with the recipe and made something else because hers was oh, yes. <laughs> so much brighter than mine. Mine came out the lightest shade of pink you'll see on Instagram in Sarah's. Well, wait a minute. How much how much grenadine did you add to it? Because I didn't mess with that part. You weren't. Clover Clubs don't have grenadine in them. Oh, yeah. Actually, I didn't mess with that part. <laughs> so you'll see. Uh, um <laughs> Which we can we can tell you which one of the cocktails we liked best, but Sarah's just doing her own thing, so <laughs> Well, I tried my best. <laughs> well, because I like didn't want to make raspberry syrup because I just ran out of time and I was making chili. And so I was like, well, it's like fruit syrup, which is basically just what grenadine <laughs> is. So I'm just going to use grenadine instead of that. And then I forgot to buy a lemon. So I was like, well, it needs a little acidity. So I added apple cider vinegar <laughs> instead, which sounds gross, but it's actually tasty. But other than that, I followed the recipe. So see, this is this is the real reason why we're giving you recipe cards. Is so you can see what the recipe actually is and what Sarah made. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, on Patreon, I'll also rate um, quality of recipe substitutions because I like to think, like, I don't know. My thing with recipes is that, like, well, you should tell the story about my my lentil soup, Catherine. (laughs) Well, so um, I had a lentil soup that I wanted to make, um, but I wasn't feeling super well. And so I gave the recipe to Sarah and all that Sarah took from it was it was a soup that had lentils in it. And then she just, <laughs> she put a bunch of, like, masala in it. And just, like, <laughs> we didn't have tomato paste. So just, like, every red thing that was in our, our kitchen. And one of my roommates loved it. And keeps 
asked me like three times what's the recipe for this lentil soup and sarah's like i don't know because that's the thing with sarah's cooking it's never replicatable (laughs) well i get close sometimes man the chili i made today was so good but i know i'm not going to be able to make it again because i did not pay attention to what i put in it it was like the usual stuff i think but not maybe necessarily but i think that I don't know. My whole thing about recipes is that, like, I don't feel like I need to be told how to make soup, though. Well, I guess the thing with it is, is that's, like, fair. Like, you don't necessarily (laughs) need to. I guess it's just funny because if I'm using a recipe, I follow a recipe. Whereas Sarah will take the trouble of choosing a recipe she's using. And she'll be like, this is what we're making. And then she'll just take, like, one ingredient from the recipe and everything else she'll just run with. (laughs) well sometimes you want to like make a thing but then you're like well i don't really want to go grocery (laughs) shopping so you just look in the fridge and you're like well this is like close enough i mean i suppose (laughs) but yeah and so for this first episode we're talking about the demolished man um which was a book done by Alfred Bester. So Alfred Bester was a fairly early face in sci-fi, and he was known primarily for short stories. Um, And then he started writing those when he was just in his 20s, and his first published short story, The Broken Axiom, won an amateur writing competition for the magazine Thrilling Wonder Stories. And um, fairly famously, uh, Robert Heinlein, who would go on to win four Hugos, the most of any um, author, he decided not to take part in this contest um, because he was like, surely my story, I can get more than $50 for it, which was the prize for it. And he was right. He got $70 for it. Um, but because he didn't enter, Alfred Bester got to win and some of the magazine editors kind of took him under his wing and helped him into the business and he went on to write comics for dc and he was an editor of a sci-fi magazine um and then the demolished man was his first novel um which he won this prize at the uh, philadelphia 1953 world con um which was a sci-fi event and the hugo was just supposed to be a one-off thing um but then a few years later when they were trying to drum up support for um, a Hugo, they were like, or sorry, for a Worldcon, they were like, hmm, remember that event we did? That was kind of fun. What if we did that? And then they kept doing it. Um, hence the a slight gap between the first few Hugos, and that's why there's only five of them for the 1950s. Um, but yeah, so Sarah, do you want to give a short summary of what the book was? The book's setting is that it's it takes place on a future Earth where some people are telepathic, but other people are not telepathic. Um, and all of the telepaths belong to a guild that creates like ethical standards for their conduct um, and non-compliance with the guild's rules causes a person to become ousted and ostracized, which kind of drives a person insane. So... 
within this setting, uh, there's a businessman, Ben Reich, who decides to kill his competitor, De Courtney, because his business is failing and he's offered like an acquisition deal to De Courtney, who's declined it. Um, so he gets the aid of like a couple different telepaths and he succeeds in killing De Courtney, but he has a witness, De Courtney's daughter, was in the suite when he killed De Courtney. So she runs off leaving an open trail and the rest of the book is a murder mystery or not a murder mystery but like a procedural drama following uh, a telepathic police officer who um, tracks down De Courtney's daughter Barbara and eventually is able to determine that Ben Reich did kill De Courtney um, through well this is interesting. This is something that I found interesting about the book, that they didn't allow telepaths to use information that they had recovered telepathically to, like, prove that a crime had been committed. Like, they could use it to, like, f direct an investigation, but they couldn't um, use that as, like, it wasn't, like, admissible as information in a court of law what's essentially like a surveillance state um that takes place or it was like written in a time like before 9-11 and like the patriot act because now obviously <laughs> they were being recorded at all times and you know there's really nothing i mean i don't know i guess it's like a little different from reading a person's mind but i don't know well it's very i, I hadn't really thought about that but it's very interesting because um, in some ways, this book seems very forward thinking and it's got a really like, um, clear like system laid out for like how the government works, how these powers work, um, which, uh, you'll, you'll find out as you, if you listen to more of these, that I really hate it when powers in books are undefined. Um, like nothing makes me angrier than like someone at the end of the book being like, I win because I have some random side power that no one ever mentioned. So I appreciate how like laid out and orderly everything is. But now that you mention that it is really, um, it's a very kind version of a police state in a lot of ways. Right. Yeah. That was one of the things that I didn't like so much about this book. Um, I felt that the characters were kind of not really super multifaceted or, like, well-developed, I guess. Because basically, like, Lincoln Powell was like, Yes! <laughs> I am a amazing detective who can do no wrong except for that sometimes I lie compulsively in a comical way. And it was like, okay, well, that's not really, like, a character flaw, but <laughs> go off, I guess. Well, it's like there's this very weird thing within it, which um, is this idea that... Um, the ideal is that everyone is a telepath. And so it's like this idea of it's partially for world control, but it's partially like, oh, we're like, we're being nice to the underlings, but they're the underlings. And it's like the police commissioner is very much like that. And at some one point, um, 
sorry, we haven't really, I haven't really introduced him, but our main hero of the book, you could say, versus um, Ben Reich, who is this businessman who completes this murder, is the police commissioner. And um, he is, you know, very much just like, oh, you know, we got to be like fair to everyone. But um, he's also very much like, well, the goal is that society will be whole when everyone is a telepath. Um, And his name is Lincoln Powell. And he's kind of a weird character because he's... He's, I don't, he's not super likable because he's very arrogant, but his arrogance turns out to be warranted. So it's kind of like, what do you do with a character that is so powerful that it doesn't really feel like you ever get to see them struggle very much? Which that was very odd. Yeah, I think the thing with it is, I think... If you're listening to this and you're wondering if you should read this book, I would say if you are curious in the idea of the world, the world itself is very interesting. Um, Like, I liked the concepts that were introduced. And because of that, I almost was willing to give the characters a pass. But the characters don't really have personalities except to, like, suit the plot. And Lincoln Powell has just a little bit too much of the Thor aspect. Like, you've watched the first few Thors, right, Sarah? Um, I watched the one that had Jeff Goldblum in it. <laughs> That's the good Thor. So that that movie, the one with Jeff Goldblum in it, which is Ragnarok, um, is a good movie because... Thor is against people that can theoretically beat him. And you see a character actually struggling. The first two Thor movies are so boring because it's just like Thor is just like clearly going to triumph. And a movie where... Or a book, any story, where the main character is just, like, so much powerful than everyone around him. Well, then it's like, what's the excitement? And this almost balanced it, I thought, because um, Ben Reich is nowhere near as personally gifted as Lincoln Powell. Like, he, he's not a telepath. Um, but he's very smart, and he has all these little tricks he does. Like, I don't know about you, Sarah, but one of my favorite things in it was um, when he does, gets the really, um, the song that's really hard to get out of his head. Yeah. Yeah, that was really interesting to me. Um, because it was like a well thought out, like I think that the world was very well thought out, like the setting and the kind of speculative aspects of you know like what would it be like if only some people were telepathic and like telepathic to like various extents like how would you have to then go about living in that society as a person who couldn't be telepathic I thought that was really interesting um 
And I thought that, like, the, like, the method of the crime was really thoroughly explained and thoroughly thought out. And that was pretty interesting to read about. Although, one thing that did confuse me, I had to look up, so he uses, like, a pistol knife to mm-hmm. kill De Courtney. But in the text, they keep on referring to it, like, comparing it to a flower. And I looked it up, and I was like, I don't know, like, what kinds of flowers <laughs> Alfred Bester has been looking at. But, like, I'm really confused by this metaphor. <laughs> Gotta say. <laughs> yeah. We'll put, we'll put a photo of a pistol knife on um, <laughs> our Instagram so you can see. Because it's it's just... If you were wondering, yeah, it's a it's, gun it's, with a knife on the front. Like. Yeah, it's about as simple as you can imagine. Um, but no, well, it's like because so within the world, which is very well thought out, it's like there's three levels of telepaths, right? Um, and Lincoln Powell is, of course, because he is our golden angel hero who's above everyone else, the level one type of telepath. So he can read like really deep into people's minds. Mm. But m- most people who are telepaths are level threes or level twos. And Ben Reich, who is this kind of awful but very clever man, he puts this melody in his head because when level two telepaths try to probe his mind, all they hear is the lyrics of this song mm. because he can't get it out of his brain. And that's just, it's very interesting and it's very clever. Um, and then there's like all these like little little touches to it that he like does to line it up. Like um De Courtney, who he's trying to kill, is in this um mansion of this very famous courtesan. Mm-hmm. Um and he sends her a book of games that he bought from the like store that sells like old artifacts after like very studiously walking around so like no one can know that was like no one hears in his brain that's like what he was looking for Mm. um and he in it he gets this he gets this book and he destroys all the games in it but sardines um so that when she gets it she'll be like oh well clearly clearly we got to play sardines and i just thought that that was like a super interesting um idea that um to like trick her into playing sardines so that the house would be in the dark and he could sneak up to the house he could sneak up to the room where this guy is and murder him one of the elements of i think that the first couple of books that we read there will be a big game of why do men (laughs) because there's a lot of it's like the worst parts of like misogyny of like the 50s and the 60s plus like the free love moment like movement combining and like oh no this is not good but anyway so they all strip naked and they're trying so the game of sardines is that somebody hides and then people are trying to find the sardine and they all smush together in the same spot until one person is left, um, al- like walking around alone and they lose the game. So it's beneficial to him because the house is dark, but also people are concentrated in like one area. So he knows that they're not going to sneak up on him while he's 
a murderin'. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is this is true. Well, it's like yeah. one of the other things about this book with the why do men is it's like one, there are women in the books, but they aren't relevant, you know. They're just they're just around looking pretty well the men do all the things since remember this was written in the 1950s um but then the other thing is is that the only real romantic relationship in this book is very problematic yeah let's talk about barbara <laughs> yeah <I'm> comfy <laughs> like no thank you <laughs> uh, yeah so Barbara is De Courtney's daughter who witnesses her father being murdered by De Court or by uh, Ben Reich. And first of all, she is naked frequently at times when it's like mm, she really could have clothes on. That's, you know, <laughs> that's a decision that you could have made. Well, yeah, because the way that Lincoln Powell originally is like, okay, Ben Reich did the murder is because he catches her mentioning that Ben Reich's daughter ran off naked. Indeed. And it's like, yeah, you couldn't have done that some other way. There wasn't some other plot device that didn't consist of us imagining a grown woman running away from a crime scene naked. Right. And it was also deeply confusing, like, the first time. Like, I had to read it, like, two, like three, two or three times over because she was, like, running into the room, like, half naked because... I guess she was, like, sleeping in, like, an adjoining room in, like, a bridal suite where they were staying in Maria Beaumont's house. But it was, like, first of all, I, okay, like, whatever. But also, like, it was just weird because when a woman runs into the room screaming and just written in, like, a really sexualized way, um, it was, like, is, am I supposed to believe that something sexual has happened oh and it was like no that's off the wall but then it's not like after reading like the end of the book it's like okay well that would have even been all that all off the wall because in order to like get her to like tell them what she witnessed they have to do like this bizarre like age regression thing where they like Mm -hmm. mentally turn her into a baby and then she like falls in love with lincoln powell who like falls in love with her also and it's like why but (laughs) literally but she also calls him father yeah exactly she like the first few days (laughs) because she's like mentally a four-year-old right and then when she's mentally a teenager she starts hitting on powell and powell is like "Mm, i'm into that and it's like (laughs) It, well, the thing about it that's very bizarre is that Powell is not meant to be a character with flaws. Like, yeah. he's just not, he, he's written as a character for a plot, as we discussed earlier. So what this mm. means is that Alfred Bester did not consider hitting on someone who previously thought that you were her dad a flaw. Yeah. And it's, it's very interesting that the characters have, like, really so little depth because the whole thing really is very Freudian mm-hmm. because the whole reason, you learn in the end, the whole reason that Ben Reich has killed De Courtney is not actually because he refused the murder because he actually did accept it, um, but it's because... 
Ben Reich is like the bastard son of like De Courtney and he like subconsciously knew it and so he hated his father for like rejecting him and abandoning him and so he had to kill him but yeah like the whole ending of the book is very psychological so it's just interesting that you can have a a plot that's so deeply based in analyzing a person's psyche without actually developing one for them (laughs) yeah (laughs) well there's this whole interesting thing too where um lincoln powell is like well the other secret was it for it was was that you couldn't seem to bear to bring yourself to kill barbara because you knew in some part of your brain that she was your sister which is like that's interesting but I would also counter that Ben Reich, I mean, we aren't supposed to believe that he's, like, the most evil man alive. So it might just be that he doesn't like killing, like, innocent 20-year-olds. Right. Also, there's, like, a part where he's telling, um, was it, like, Kino Quizzard? Like, I want Barbara returned to me. And he's, like considering whether he wants her dead and alive and it like kind of implies that he like wants to fuck her and it's like okay well like what about that then (laughs) what about that then alfred yeah well because he talks about how like pretty she is yeah and i yeah so i think i don't know there was something something weird going on there and then there's (laughs) also this side character of mary who is like Mm. So Mary is an actual adult woman um, whose sole character plot and goal in life is to get Lincoln Powell to marry her. Women be like. Yeah, women be like, <laughs> we have no other goals. And she, she's a telepath. And she's a fairly yeah. powerful telepath. Um, and she seems like fairly smart and fairly accomplished. And all that she cares about in life is figuring out why Lincoln Powell does not wish to marry her. Um, Mm -hmm. And then she's like, I figured out the truth. It's because you're in love with this woman who's mentally a five-year-old. And it's like, ah, wonderful. Fantastic. We love to see it. And then the end of the book is, of course, her being in, like, a full adult mind, and now they can get married. And it's like, what? Yeah, <laughs> I guess this is a happy ending, but right. It's like, I mean, it's better than it was before, but I would not say that this is good. <laughs> yeah, um, but no. So and you'll see when we talk about they'd rather be right. That also has some problematic female characters which spoiler alert that's the next book that won a hugo um (laughs) you can find the list on wikipedia yeah i've already read um double star which is the third book by robert a heinlein and (laughs) same shit (laughs) same shit different man yeah yeah i'm not that surprised to be honest um i mean it's just like women were not necessarily i mean women are not necessarily characters in modern sci-fi like um if you're watching this 
are listening to this, sorry, there's probably a chance that you've watched some Star Trek. Um, and I personally am a big D Space Nine fan, but I've watched all the shows. And something that's very interesting that um, my boyfriend pointed out to me, and then I watched again, and I was like, ah, oh, he's definitely right, is if you watch Deep Space Nine and you watch Next Generation, there are bad episodes. There are good episodes. But Picard and Cisco, who are the captains in both of them, have a baseline personality that doesn't change. And if you watch Voyager, the female captain's personality <laughs> changes based on who's writing it because like sometimes she's like i'm very smart and i'm very capable and like she's got her flaws but like she's a person and then sometimes she's like i'm here waiting for the male officers to save me and it's like none of the male captains ever do that (laughs) so you know yeah it's a it's a fun trait through sci-fi and through writing in general and through history but yeah, um, fun, fun. What else did I want to talk about with this book? Um, do you want to talk about going back to the kindness of the police state? What demolition actually means? Because I thought that was very interesting. I liked that twist. It's essentially that they're just... Their entire personality is like stripped from them. Which is pretty interesting i and it's like a i don't know it is pretty interesting to like think about that in like the context of like the current criminal legal system because i guess in a lot of ways like going through um like criminal prosecution and serving a criminal sentence does really strip you of your identity like you are dehumanized within the prison system So it doesn't surprise me that they would use this. But then at the end, it was a very kind of hopeful interpretation of that. Yeah, well, so my understanding, so the thing is, is throughout the book, you know, um, Mm. demolition is what happens if you get caught for murder. And um, Ben Reich really wants to avoid demolition, right? That's what he's, that's what he's trying to avoid. Um... And, you know, because of the way our prison system works and because of the modern day, maybe, and maybe, but I I just feel like because I think we live in a fairly harsh world, I, of course, assumed Mm, that that was just some terrible way to die. Um, Just like some some new way that they determined for like, indeed, I don't know, throwing people into the flame or some shit. Yeah, the way that they phrased it, it kind of reminded me of, like, retirement from the good place. I kind of just assumed they were going to, like, throw him in the sun or something. Yeah, kind of, yeah, honestly. <laughs> That's, maybe. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, so, it's interesting because what they, what demolition actually means is, at least my understanding of it is, is they, they have you be, re- like, reborn as a new person. Mm. But... It's like you're going to grow into the same like personality of the person that you were, but like the state will be helping you do it. Interesting. And the book is very much like, oh, Ben Reich's like intellect's gonna be like put for good use now. 
And at the end, Ben Reich thinks that like Lincoln Powell is a friend when he thinks that he's like three in demolition stage. Isn't that sweet? And it's like, is it though? Yeah. Isn't that really fucking creepy? Yeah, because it's interesting. It's like, um, it's interesting because they're like it is a surveillance police state because the police are essentially all telepaths who can read your mind, but you know they're not allowed to use that evidence in court. But like the outcome of it is is essentially the same, which is that like, um, they have basically like total control over uh, like the lengths that they'll go to to force a person to comply with the state yeah and i mean like i'm not necessarily saying that i was like rooting for ben reich because i wasn't Mm. necessarily i kind of thought it would have been interesting if he had gotten away with it but like i didn't mind that they caught him but the thing is is even though they can't use that evidence in court lincoln powell reads his mind and right, knows yeah. that he's the killer from the beginning. So it's not like he's and it's not like he's looking for evidence for anybody else. Right. Yeah. He's just looking for other evidence to prove that Ben Reich is guilty. Indeed. So whether or not it feels like the state's always gonna win yeah. and be able to pin it on you. Because right. Ben Reich is as a character, he's he's a millionaire. Or he's very, very wealthy. I don't know if it, his money is actually... He has help from Espers. Um, he has a very clever plan. And he still gets caught. Which So it kind of feels like the moral of the story is, is that in a world with mind readers, no one can ever get away with anything. And that's a good thing. Yeah. So, yeah, like, even if um, people do have, like, technically a right to their privacy in a way, effectively, that right doesn't really do anything for them because, you know, the the eyes of the state are all-seeing. Yeah, and I think the thing is, is that I think perhaps in the 50s, there was a more benevolent understanding of what the state was. Um, right. Because, you know, we aren't that far from, like, FDR in the New Deal, mm. right? Which yeah. really mm. revitalizes America. And then it's very much like uh, the American states, the only thing that pr- protects us from communism. Um, So we got that. And it's like, so I can mm. sort of see why that period might think that. But it's just very interesting. Because right. I can't ever imagining... I can't imagine writing a book or a short story where the state has full control and i'm like man this is awesome like i mean like think about like 1984 right um yeah. although 1984 was like written in the um what year was 1984 written in i want to say it was like 1948 or something i don't know let me google I it i thought it was later than that but maybe i'm maybe i'm giving us a bad example if so i apologize um Oh. Because that's very different. Yeah, if you put 1984 in... Oh, it's earlier. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, I guess that it's like... I guess that maybe some people just were always cynical and some people were always trusting. But yeah, Sarah, is there anything else that you want to add before we wrap up? Well, I thought that Jerry Church... 
there's like a um telepath who gets like exiled from the telepath society because he did a crime i don't really remember what his crime was but it had something to do with being a i don't think we ever find out right but then he kind of just like doesn't come up again <laughs> yeah <laughs> so but first well first of all like reading um like the description of the book i thought that he was going to be like the main character but also it's very funny to read this book and imagine jerry seinfeld <laughs> fair enough fair enough but no well it's very interesting because this is actually one more thing i want to say and then i will stop talking about this book um is that it's really portrayed as one that like tele um telepaths really can't like handle not interacting with each other because the way we talk is like so much lower than them and two i just thought it was very interesting the way that's put in the book so when telepaths are talking the words are put in like funky structures yeah typographically it was really interesting it was like an e.e e. cummings poem yeah which i just thought was very unique um mm. the way that they did that yeah and also i don't know if it had to do like specifically with telepaths or alfred bester was just like in the future we'll put the at symbol and the ampersand and <laughs> whatever else <laughs> like people's like we'll put symbols in people's names which i guess i mean makes I sense mean, why not? they didn't have yeah they didn't have the you can't name your baby that symbol <laughs> legal case yet so <laughs> yeah and i mean i think it's interesting just to think about um what people in earlier times thought the future was going to be because mm. yeah. it's very interesting to read this because it's like well 1953 i mean alfred bester could have conceivably thought that we'd now be living in the future that he wrote in this book and yeah. we are not <laughs> thank god yeah truly this is not the future i think i wanted but yeah um do you want to um do like your short summation of like would you recommend the book or not and then i will yeah so i would I think I would recommend the book. I think that it was fairly interesting. I think that it was pretty exciting. I think that it started kind of slow. Like, it didn't really have, like, a big hook. Um, but if you're a person who is interested in kind of, like, detective, like, police procedural stories and you're interested in seeing, like, a really interesting sci-fi twist. I think this is a really great one for that. I would not read this if you're really interested in delving deep into a character's psyche, as we talked about. But <laughs> yeah. other than that, it's I think it's pretty good. I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah, I think I would also agree. I think that the world is very well done. Um, I think it was very interesting um just seeing it because it has rules and like i mentioned i love worlds mm. with rules i also love smart characters um mm. one of my very good friends always says that um your main character can be mean or he can be dumb but he can't be both <laughs> true <laughs> um and in this the main character is mean but he's not dumb He's smart, and that makes it interesting. And it's a, it's kind of a fun murder mystery sort of vibe. 
Um, I also think this book, I would recommend it just because I think it's very interesting just for what people in the 50s thought sci-fi was um, yeah. and what they thought the future was going to be. Right. Um, so I enjoyed that. But yeah, so indeed, we mm-hmm. both recommend this book, so you should read it. Um, indeed. But yeah, so I think that's that's pretty much a wrap, folks, unless there's anything else you want to add to this, Sarah. Indeed. Yeah, I guess the thing that I would add is that, um, I don't know, I guess it got kind of warm, but uh, I like this cocktail. I like the, the fuzzy, or not the fuzzy, the foamy on top. <laughs> and my fuzzy cocktail. Um, but it's, I think it would definitely be better if you kept it chilled, because the more I drink it, the more I'm like, mm. Mm. <laughs> these are some flavors. <laughs> yes, cocktails should be should be best chilled yeah i gotta say that for this week i'm absolutely gonna say that my cocktail was better than sarah's sorry sarah um yeah (laughs) even with not have following the recipe i do have to agree with that i think in my opinion folks if you want a cocktail that has dairy in it make a white russian or ask yourself why do i want a cocktail that has dairy in it and then go make something else. True. <laughs> and with those words of wisdom, we will leave you and be back in two weeks. Very nice. Good talking to you. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>